0: Hey, it's Adam. Welcome to our weekly teaching podcast here at South Hills Church in Corona, California. Our hope is that as you listen in, you'll find yourself laughing and learning and being challenged and encouraged to grab hold of who God has made you to be. Enjoy the message.
1: The title of my message today is Hairstyles and Holiday Ends." Hairstyles and Holiday ends. Now, I don't know if you've noticed, but I have a beard um, and have for a really long time. Uh, My wife has only seen me without a beard twice in our relationship, and uh, it did not go well either time. Just gonna let you guys know out the gate. I've always had a beard of of some length. Uh, As soon as I was able to start growing facial hair, uh, I was like, this is probably a must, because if I shave this thing down, I look like a Gerber baby. I mean, it is... It's not, it's not pleasant, <clears throat> I have a real baby face. And so I need the beard, you know what I mean? I need the beard to sort of give shape um, and like manliness to my face so I don't look like a four-year-old baby in a diaper commercial, and so that is the goal. Um, and, uh, and so I've had a beard, but like uh, those of you that maybe have beards or maybe you're married to someone with a beard, you know like beard trimming, it is a delicate process, Uh, it is like, it's very measured. You know what I mean? It doesn't seem like that for some of you ladies who come in and you just see like the hair schmorkus board everywhere, just in all of the things on your toothbrush. You know what I mean? But like, we're really trying to do our best. And there are moments where when you're trimming your beard that the guard slips and these are devastating moments, For those of us that have put a lot of time and energy and effort into our beard, it's a signature move for us, and there have been times where I've been like, you know, trimming up a little bit, and the guard will slip, you know what I mean, from like a 12 to a 1, and that's not pleasant, especially when you're really getting in there. You're trying to get it going fast, and it's like, and then now you have a stripe, and uh this happened to me uh, not too long ago where I had, I had a bigger bushy beard and I, 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 I got the stripe and, and of course you're just like, well, I can't leave just the stripe and so maybe I'll just even it out. I'll just do another stripe on this side. And so I had this stripe, and then I was like, no, now I look like just somebody in the background of a Kanye video, I can't do this. This is like from a different planet, kind of a, and so then I was like, maybe I'll just do like a bushy goatee, and I'll just make the stripes wider, and then I had like mutton chops and like a big goatee, and then that looked like I was like a drug dealer from the 70s, I was like, I can't do this. And so then I just had to trim the goatee, and then I just had the thick mustache and the mutton chops, and my wife was like, absolutely not. Now you are my dad from the early 80s, and I can't get down with that. And so I had, I, I, basically it was just like, it was almost like it was almost all gone. There was like a little bit of something there, and I was just like, this is what it is now. It's gonna have to be this for a little while until it grows out. And I walked out, uh, and my kids are all laying on the couch, And uh, this was their reaction. Almost all of them looked up and were like, ah, Ah!" And then my my daughter, who was really, really kind, you know, anytime I make any changes to my appearance was like, why would you do that? (laughs) Like I was in a car accident and like horribly disfigured, you know what I mean? If you looked at the expressions on their face and you judge what you thought you looked like by the horror in their eyes, you would think that just somebody just beat me with a baseball bat, right, I don't know what they thought they were seeing, but they were just like, uh, oh, you look different, and then uh, my youngest, he goes, you look like you're trying to be a cool teenager, and I was like, oh, thanks, he's like, no, I said trying, I'm like, oh, makes me feel worse, actually, And there was just nothing I could do. I'd already sort of committed to it. And it was just there. And I didn't even do it on purpose. And the biggest thing that they were saying is they're like, it makes us feel weird that's not you. And I'm like, it is me. I'm under here. You know what I mean? Uh, They're like, it just feels weird. It feels like it's not really you. And I bring this up because I think we all have these moments in our lives where maybe we make a change, we make a turn, we alter something about ourselves, and then we sort of re-enter into the lives of the people around us, and maybe we get the same sort of reaction. And maybe the, the decision that we made was intentional, maybe it was accidental, maybe it was large or small, but when we altered something about sort of the way that we have been, and it, and it sort of assaulted the way that people have assumed that we were gonna be or should be, sometimes their reaction to that um, can be alarming. It feels a lot like rejection. And I wonder if you have ever made a change in your life. Maybe it was sort of superficial, or maybe it was even bigger, and everyone seemed to have an opinion. And it wasn't just that they had an opinion, it was that they felt like you needed to hear their opinion about the change that you had made with your life. And depending on how big that thing was, or you know how big mouth slash passive aggressive your family is, um, you know it, it may have had you wondering. I don't know if I want to share certain things with my family. Um, maybe it was a change that you made as you'd taken a break from your family, not because like you had written them off, but just your schedules have been pulled apart. You were away at college. Your life had kind of gone in a different direction, and you came back and sort of reengaged with your family. And and on the way there you sort of wondered if they're going to be able to handle the new you. If you were going to get the reaction of like, this isn't you, why would you do whatever it is that you just did? And you wonder if going home is really going to feel like home or what even home is for you anymore at this stage of your life. And I think sometimes learning who you are, uh, it means leaning away from who others expect you to be. And that is a tough thing about growing up. And here's the crazy thing is that we can experience these modes of growth um, when we're young and even when we're older, right? Even when we're in our 50s, 60s, and 70s, there can going to be things that change and evolve about us that other people really aren't sure what to do with. And I think what is difficult about this is sometimes we discover that their dreams, the people around us, that their dreams for us are different maybe than God's dreams for us. So it's not even necessarily that we are doing something that we shouldn't do, it's that we're doing something that God is calling us to do. We're trying to follow him, be the kind of person that he's inspired us to be, but it sort of rocks the boat. It upsets the equilibrium, and it begins to change things in our families, and it can create a tremendous amount of tension. When we begin to take steps towards God, we would assume that it would make everything easier in our relationships. But sometimes it makes things much, much harder because who we are becoming is not who they were most comfortable with us being. And I think the Christmas story in its original form is full of the same sort of family tension. And this is what I wanna unpack with you today. We're gonna read the Christmas story from the book of Luke chapter two, the verse seven verses. And it begins like this. It says, at that time, the Roman emperor decreed that a census should be taken throughout the empire and all returned to their ancestral towns to register because Joseph was a descendant of King David. He had to go to Bethlehem, and so he took with him Mary, to whom he was engaged, who was now expecting a child. And when they were there, he uh, and laid him in a manger because I think I skipped a line. And when they were there, the time came, let me get these glasses checked, um, for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn son. That's an important line. And she wrapped him snugly, the word snugly is in the Bible, and that always makes me happy every year, in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available for them, which is a super famous line. Um, I don't know what translation of scripture um, you happen to have or grew up listening to or reading. Some translations, uh, they translate this line into like, there was no room for them in the inn. And it probably conjures up, you know, a scene uh, that looks like this, like like is on many Christmas cards and sort of paintings and things that float around at this time. And uh, with the, you know, the Mary and Joseph, and they're, they're in the manger. There's like the feeding trough, and the baby's there. And of course, everyone's glowing because there's some, a nuclear reactor nearby um, <laughs> that has caused some, wait, what? And in fact, there's a lot of inaccuracies about this. Um, and I wanna just highlight a few of them. Uh, we can't really get to all of them, but a few of these things that aren't probably the way it was. One, uh, they probably weren't in a stable Because stables weren't really a thing, not in the way that we sort of picture them now as these like lean to barn sort of shelters. Uh, Villages at this time in history had like a communal pen, or individual families may have had like a small dugout sort of basement nook, like this basin where they would keep uh, an ox or maybe like a couple goats, whatever they could afford that would help them do their work during the day. They wanted those animals sheltered with them at night because. Uh, They were their coworkers, right? And uh, man, if something happened to them, you would be done for. So uh, they weren't really in a stable. They also, it's probably they weren't in an inn And one of the reasons for this is because inns were really rare. Like, people didn't really travel then as much as they do now. We travel for vacation. We travel for fun. We travel for work. People stayed really in one place most of their life during this time in history. And when they did travel, they stayed in people's homes, not in holiday inns, okay? That's the way this time in history worked. In fact, the Greek word that's sometimes translated in English as the word inn is more accurately guest quarters. So... What it's really saying is that there's no room for them in the guest quarters of the home that they're approaching to stay in. And so because of that, they squatted in like the cave-like trench below the house where the animals slept. It's also likely that they had been there for days, maybe even weeks before the baby was even born, which is a long time to sleep with an ox, we often like envision this story happens like they show up and they knock on the door and the innkeeper opens the door and he's like, what is happening? And she's like, my water broke. You know, and it, it instantly she's having the baby. And that's probably not how this went down. Um, it, it says in the text that while they, were, uh, while they were there, right? So it's like sort of this casual, like in the course of time is sometimes how it's phrased. Um, they also came into town, For a census, and I don't know if you guys know this, but government agencies aren't really known for their quick efficiency, you know what I mean, getting things done. And this is a time like pre-technology, right? And so it's even worse. It's likely that they were there for a really long time. And it's also likely that they weren't alone, right? We see this and there's like two people there and then there's like two creepy people kind of coming in the edge, right? It's likely that the scene in which Mary gave birth, that there were... 17 to 25 people that were standing around. Uh, Not the way I would wanna do it, Uh, just letting you guys know. But that's the way that this culture sort of functioned. Families in the East um, are very different functionally than families in the West. Um, They tend to be more communal. We tend to be more independent and individual. And this was even truer in the ancient world. And no one really visited anywhere that they didn't have family. There would be really no reason to do that. And when you went to a place where you had family, you stayed with that family, and there was a census happening. So that means that a lot of family is going to these homes. There's no inns, and they're all camped out in these uh, houses that are just packed and stacked with people on top of people on top of people. And in addition to this, these people are a part of a religious order that obligates them to give help and hospitality to their entire extended family anytime they feel like dropping in, even unannounced. And this wasn't just like a sweet custom. This was a strict code with laws and prophets commanding it that if ever your family decided to drop by, you were obligated to roll out the red carpet. And I'll just read you a verse from the prophet Isaiah that uh, puts an exclamation point on sort of the culture these people grew up in. Isaiah 58, verse seven. Share your food with the hungry and give shelter to the homeless. Give clothes to those who need them and do not hide from relatives who need your help. And for some of you, you're like, that is our most honored holiday tradition and our hiding from family. That is... I mean, man, if we had Christmas bingo, that's, that's gonna be two spaces. I mean, we, especially the ones that are like all needy, right? And this passage is a part of a bigger discourse. If you were to read, you know, all of chapter 58, because you get some free time later, um, you would notice that this prophet is sort of giving a bigger uh, sermon on behalf of God, where he's essentially saying like, listen, you cannot compartmentalize the sacred and the secular. Right? You cannot sort of like, if you're really going to be a person of God, you really can't say, like, I have like a church persona or a spiritual persona, and then I have like the rest of me over here that thinks and does and operates differently. Like, the perspective of the prophets in scripture was if you believe in God, it ought to bleed into every area of your life, especially the way you treat those around you. In fact, when Jesus is sort of cornered and asked to define what it is to really be a true follower of God, he says, listen, It is a matter of loving God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and loving your neighbor so the people who surround you as yourself, that there is no separation of the way that we interact with God and the way that we're to treat other people. And these things are ultra important in this story because it's likely that they weren't in an inn, that they weren't at a stranger's house, that they showed up on a family member's doorstep who knew they were coming ahead of time, pregnant, cold, and hungry, and they were told, we don't have any room for you in here. That is a very different story than an oversold hotel on a busy weekend. In other words, what's actually happening here, it's likely that this house had several extended family members living in it, camped out because the census was about to take place, packed in together, but no one there is willing to give up their bed for the nine-month-old or the nine-month-pregnant fiancé of this guy that you've known since you were kids until someone felt guilty and was like, well, I guess you could go in and sleep with the animals. In other words, Mary and Joseph, during the birth of Jesus, are surrounded by family and no one wants them there. There's all this tension and frustration and disappointment and annoyance and judgment over their, what they perceive as the irresponsible decisions of Joseph and his crazy pregnant girlfriend. Yeah, we, we heard Okay, your made-up story about an angel talking to you and, you know, the way that your girl's virgin pregnancy happened. Come on, man. We've known you forever, okay? You are not the kind of guy that angels talk to. You think I don't remember prom, okay? I mean, I could tell some stories. That's why you wouldn't let me give a toast at the wedding coming up because I know too much. And the reason why I'm saying that is because we're family. And I just think that this is disrespectful. You should not be here right now. She should not be here right now. We got no room for you. Even if we had room, we don't have room for you. That's what's happening here. And I bring this up because I think everyone no matter how severe, we all eventually run face first into the expectations of our family. And every family has some sort of expectations, right? How you're supposed to act at the dinner table, the kinds of things that you're not, you really shouldn't talk about in public, what success looks like, what kinds of jobs are celebrated, uh, the type of person that you should probably marry, the political party that you should support, whether or not you should have piercings and tattoos. And whether it's spoken or unspoken, there's this pressure in our families to conform, to fall in line with the standard of what it looks like to represent your family's name. And a lot of it may be well-intentioned, but that doesn't mean that the constant critiques don't sting. Because we all crave acceptance, love, and belonging, especially from our family, which is why we wrestle with what they want from us in order to approve of us. And I wonder if you have ever felt nervous that some of your choices and changes and opinions and relationships might cause your family to put out a no vacancy sign during a time you showed up because you really needed them. And for some of us, this reality is even more complicated because the thing they don't like is something that we can't take back. It's not a decision that we can unmake. And the tension is just sort of there every time we're in the room together. And for some of us, this is why traveling on Christmas like Mary and Joseph is a dreaded experience because we don't know how we're gonna be received when we show up on the doorstep. And again, some of these things, we're not sure what to do about it. You know, I get it. You don't like her, okay? But we've been married for 10 years now. I don't think she's going anywhere. I don't know what to tell you. I understand. I didn't go to the school that you want me to go to. I didn't didn't go down the career path that you were hoping. But this is where I'm at, and, and I like what I do. Yes, that is a tattoo on my arm. No, it is not a temporary tattoo. No, I am not looking into laser removal surgery. Yes, I did move your grandkids out of state. And I know that that stings. But we are not moving back. This is where our life is now. Yeah, I saw the YouTube video that you shared with me 17 times on Facebook and I still did not vote the way you wanted me to, okay? We have different perspectives And I just want to tell you like if you have ever felt like you didn't fit with your family, I want you to know this. When Jesus came home for the first time, his family didn't even want him there. His birth did not meet or appease the family or cultural standards. and sure, there were angels and shepherds and, and wise men cheering him on on the outside but his own family rolled their eyes and gave he and his mother the silent treatment on the inside. There's this fancy theological word that we use oftentimes at Christmas to describe God coming to earth in human form. It's this word incarnation. And incarnation means to embody. An incarnation is essentially an introduction. It's showing people who you are. It means to show yourself, to allow yourself to be seen and known by others. It's being vulnerable and real. It's giving people a glimpse at the real you. And so if we're reading the Christmas story correctly, God shows his true self to his family in the form of Jesus. But they can't accept or enjoy who he really is because it's different than who they thought he should be. And I wonder if you've ever felt like that. Like the people that you want to be closest to are never really going to get you. Because you are not who they wanted you to be. Because you didn't do what they wanted you to do. Because your life went in a different direction than the dreams that they had for you. And I would say as much as you hate being treated this way, I think the the harsher thing to meditate on is the fact that you have probably treated other people this way. Maybe you didn't even realize it. I think we get so wrapped up in our own lives and goals and schedules and drama and preferences that a lot of times we're only sort of half paying attention to what is going on with the people around us and so we don't see them for who they really are. We just run with an assumption that we have about them. And we don't notice what they're really feeling or what it is that they're actually needing in the moment. And we are missing out on experiencing what is truly amazing about them because we wish they were a little bit different. And in this story, Joseph's family was so invested in their own stories that they didn't notice that God's story was unfolding right in front of them. And I wonder if you have ever had the experience where you didn't really see how special something was in your life until it was over. Because this family, Joseph's extended family, on the doorstep that he showed up on, these people had the opportunity to fully engage and participate and soak in and be blown away by the beauty of Christ's birth, but they missed it. And I wonder what you're missing. Caught up in your own drama, in your own worries, your own schedule, your own busyness, your own job, your own insecurities, and you were pushing So quickly, maybe you're in a season where you're just trying to survive. You're just trying to make it from one thing to the next and connect all the boxes and get everything off the to-do list and, and try and do the bare minimum to make everybody just sort of get off your back. And because of it, there are things that you're missing out on that really are the essence of the only reason you're alive. I wonder what it is for you. Maybe it's the tenderness of this unrepeatable season of your kids' lives. Maybe it's like those little wrinkles in the corner of your wife's eyes that are sort of badges of honor from all the years of making her laugh. Maybe it's the way that like your your, your dog sort of nuzzles into you at the end of a day because somehow she can tell like it wasn't a good one and you need this right now. Maybe it's how the dirty dishes after dinner are evidence that you get to share your table with people that you really love. Maybe it's recognizing how much that man in your life must really love you to work this hard constantly to take care of your family. Maybe it's the cozy way your body sort of like fits into that one spot on the couch where the springs have given up and just how comfortable it is and how, how much you look forward to it at the end of the day. Maybe it's how certain people in your life keep showing up for you again and again and again, despite what mood you're in, despite the fact that you really don't deserve it right now. Maybe for you, it's even worse than all this. Maybe it's that you don't even know what you're missing because you've never slowed down long enough to really notice. And here's what I do know. Busy is the enemy of beauty. And if you do not make space for it, you will miss out on it. And Joseph's family, what they really couldn't seem to understand in this story is that true beauty isn't, um, isn't someone, you know, living up somehow to your ideal. It's, it's this unique joy that you're able to access when they're just being real in these really simple moments where heaven is invading earth, where the spiritual is unfolding, it's blossoming in the midst of the natural. When the sacred is invading the secular and you're missing out on it because it feels so normal. Sometimes normal is where the beauty is hiding. And unlike the people in this story, it's not too late for you to figure that out. I wonder how long it took Joseph's family to realize that they were wrong about Mary. A couple days? Like maybe when the shepherds arrived? You know, maybe when her head started glowing, like in all the paintings? I don't know. Like, what was the moment where they were just like, you know what, I think we caught it wrong? Was it a couple years later when the wise men show up and they present lavish gifts to this baby and they're bowing down in front of him? Like, was it then that they were like, man, there's something else going on here. I think we might have missed something beautiful. Was it when Jesus proved to have like a real knack for teaching when he was a little kid in the temple and he was, you know, just sort of debating about what he thought was happening in the scriptures, and old rabbis that have been doing this their whole life are like, oh my gosh, this kid just blew my mind. Was it then? I wonder if Jesus ever felt like he ever fit in with his family, like they ever truly understood or accepted the real him. I don't know. But there is this moment where Jesus gets baptized. He's 30 years old. And when he comes up out of the water, in the book of Matthew, the third chapter, it says that a voice from heaven said, this is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. I want you to imagine that since birth, there was this uncomfortable tension that existed in your family because of you. And then imagine hearing these words that you have been desperate to hear your entire life, echoing down from the heavens from God himself, saying to you, you are mine and I like you. Your very existence brings me joy. I think one of the things that Christmas shows us is that Jesus is more like us than we know. Jesus knows what it feels like to be rejected by his family. And I think this is partially why he will do whatever it takes to ensure that you are included in God's. And this is echoed over and over again in scripture. If you think about where Jesus came from and the experiences he had as he grew up, it makes some of... The things that he says later are so much more powerful because you understand the depth charge that is happening when he says them or they're said about him. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19, it says, Now you, speaking to, to Christians who have come into the family of God, like, and now you are no longer strangers and foreigners, which is how you feel. You're members of God's family. In First John chapter 3, verse 1, it says, See how very much our Father loves us. He calls us his children, and that's what we are. And I realize that when I say all this, some of you have a really hard time believing this, that God likes you, that he views you as his, no matter where you have been or what you have done that he invites you freely into his family and that just your existence brings him joy. There's nothing you need to do to earn it or achieve it, you cannot. It is given to you like a good father to a child. I think for some of us it's hard to wrap our head and heart around because you know, the more rejected you felt by your family, I think the hard. Harder it is to believe that God would ever want you in His. But He does. It's the thing that He wants more than anything. It doesn't matter the things that have happened to you, the things that you have done, the ways in which you've rejected Him or ran away, the things that you've done to try and make yourself feel okay, the things that you've done in the quiet, in the shadows, in the darkness. It doesn't matter all of the expectations that you will never be able to live up to for the people around you. The Christmas story is a story that reiterates to us, God makes room for you. In fact, Jesus once said, John chapter 14, verse two, there is more than enough room in my father's home. Jesus said that. The man whose story begins with his mother being told by his fiance's family when she stood on the doorstep trying to walk the path that she believed God laid out for her and was experiencing rejection everywhere she turned in the process for it. Jesus says these words, there's more than enough room for you in my father's house. And this comes from a man who some of the first words that were spoken right before his birth was, there is no room for you and that bastard baby in here. But the story doesn't, Stall here because Jesus takes all of the pain of his story and he channels it into building a new kind of family. One where there is always more than enough room for you here with us. And that is the definition of beauty. Being able to take destruction, disappointment, depression, discouragement, Everything that the enemy throws at your life to destroy you. To surrender yourself to God and allow him to begin to rework that into something that gives life to others. And I believe it's happening all the time, all around us, but many of us are too busy to see the beauty. Jesus goes on to say in John chapter 14, verse 2, he says, there's, no, there's more than enough room in my father's home. If this were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? Again, think of the intentionality of these words from a man whose mom was told because of him, I guess you can sleep with the animals. That's not how the family of God works. In reality, this is the beauty of the Christmas story, that God himself prepares a place for you, that you belong that you are excitedly anticipated, that you're accepted just as you are when you show up on the doorstep unannounced, that this is your family, that you don't have to keep holding your breath, sort of bracing yourself for the inevitable rejection that's gonna come, that you can just be you here because you are home in the family of God. And this isn't just something that God wants to make clear to you. It's something that he wants you to make clear to others. And this is my challenge to you. During this Christmas season, because I think when we read stories like this, we instantly and automatically relate to Mary and Joseph and Jesus. We feel like the ones who are being rejected, the ones who are being overlooked, the ones that everyone's too busy to pay attention to. But I wonder for you, what if that's not who you are in this story what if you're the people in the house that don't wanna give up their bed? What if you're the person that is just like, I don't want you in here? I wonder, who are you determined not to see the beauty in this holiday season? I wonder, what if you were to make it your goal to slow down and to create space to see and be surprised by the hidden beauty of those around you. I think the best part of Christmas is the part that we often don't realize was the best part until it's all over. It wasn't all the gifts. It wasn't all the the, the things that we rushed around to do and to make happen. It it wasn't all these big things. It was all the little in-between moments. It was all the moments where you stop to breathe and pay attention and look around and acknowledge how blessed you really, truly are. I think sometimes what God is actually wanting us to experience and see is knocking at the door and we answer frustratedly that we're being interrupted from all of our plans and all of the things that we have going and our our existing schedule and all the stuff on our to-do list. And God is like, this is everything that you were trying to manufacture. I wanna give to you for free. It's already here. And we're like, I don't have time for that. I got my own agenda going on. I just wonder if this Christmas, if you made an extra effort to look in the eyes of the people around you, to take inventory of what God is doing in and through you. To shut down the side of your brain that's trying to tell you constantly that you should have more, be more, and do more. Begin to listen to the quiet voice of God that is reminding you how blessed you are of everything that he has done for you, of the miracles that are unfurling in your presence, of the fact that God's story is being unveiled in every person around you, that what God is doing is beautiful and he wants you to experience it, but your busyness has the ability to kill it. I wanna pray that God would do for you something that didn't seem to happen in this story, that he would shake you out of that glazed over, focused, fixed, like frantic version of you just being busy so that you actually get to see how great this is right now while it's happening. Because that's the gift. Would you bow your heads with me across this space? God, we are so incredibly grateful for how you love us, for all that you have done for and given us. And God, we are incredibly grateful that your love is a free gift to us. there's nothing that we can do to achieve your love, to somehow earn your grace, to somehow do enough good things to get access to your forgiveness. All these things, you, you, you just, you heap onto us because just our existence gives you joy. God, may we feel your pleasure with us this season. And God, may out of that sense that we are loved by you, may we be able to take baby steps towards you. And in doing so, may our eyes be opened to the beauty that exists all around us. In our homes, on our streets, in our workplace, and all the many gifts and blessings that you have given to us. Sometimes, God, even in you not allowing things to go and be the way we wanted them to. God, as we slow down to meditate on who you are, and what your love truly looks like. May our hearts be full to overflowing with the love you have for us, enough to spill out and lavish on those around us. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen.
0: Thanks for tuning in to this week's message. We hope you heard something that spoke directly to where you're at right now in life. To find out more about our church, hit up our website, southhills.org slash corona, or follow us on social media at South Hills Corona. And if our messages have made a difference in your life, help us get the word out by rating and reviewing this podcast. And as always, you can support the ongoing work of our church by giving through our website at southhills.org slash give and selecting the Corona campus. Thank you so much for listening, and we hope you'll join us again next week. God bless.